Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hey there, before we dive into our episode, I wanted to give a quick content warning. We will be talking briefly about sexual assault in this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Caro Confort, and I'm thrilled this week to introduce my next guest, who you might know through her work with Taboo, Mia Davis. Mia is the founder and CEO of Taboo, a digital destination empowering you to have more fulfilling sex, strong and healthy relationships, and nurtured mental health. She also founded Taboo Wellness, a creator platform designed for mental health and sexuality professionals to level up their businesses. She is passionate about opening up taboo conversations, watching Real Housewives, and making it easier for all of us to advocate for ourselves in the bedroom and beyond. Mia, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, just getting my day started. All over there in in California. Yes. All right. Well, we're excited to have you and we're going to dive right into it. So because we talk so much about what life was like for you when you were young, a young Mia, we want to kind of get into the mindset of who you were back in the day. So if you could fill us in on some juicy details about a young teenage Mia, what was your favorite band, your favorite fashion trend, and your favorite slang word when you were in high school? Great questions. So I guess my favorite band early on was My Chemical Romance. Actually, that just came up the other day. We did like a virtual uh, code names with some friends. And one of the clues I gave was like for the word parade. And I used like black for like black parade. And uh, one, like two of the other people understood it. My actual partner didn't, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, it was like, exactly. I was like, what's such a good clue? Um, So it was a throwback (laughs) moment for me. But um, yeah, I I think there was like a really short phase during which I thought I was like kind of emo or like, you know, whatever. And uh, I really was not, but um, (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) That's a pretty intense one. I mean, I also went through a phase, but that's like, that's not like softcore emo. That's like pretty hardcore emo. So I'm impressed. I'm glad you say that because I think it's like fake emo, but I really, I I was obsessed with like all of their music. And then fashion trend, I was kind of preppy, I guess. I wore sort of like which is the opposite of what I just said. But. I was just going to say, <laughs> throw it us for a loop here, Mia. Yes, I am uh, multifaceted. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just, my mom just sent me this photo the other day where I was wearing like this um, collared shirt with like a sweater over it and um, like a plaid skirt. And I showed my friend and they're like, oh my God, like, is that your school uniform? I was like, we didn't have school uniforms. This is just like what I was wearing. <laughs> your choice. I chose this. Yes, I chose this. Um, so yeah. And then I don't know, I was, I guess like kind of flared jeans a little bit. And then what's the last question? Slang word, your favorite slang word. Oh, my favorite slang word. Well, I didn't swear and I still really don't. I do like maybe on occasion. So I feel like I made up a lot of words mm-hmm. um, in place of other words. Got it. So yeah. instead of cussing, you'd say yeah. something else. Like, I think I said like shabbats, you know, like, I don't know. I was just making up phrases at, at all times. 
I mean, at least you weren't cursing. I'm sure your uh, f- family was thrilled about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> a good, good Christian girl. Yeah. Okay. So this is, <laughs> this is a wild ride. You're taking us on my chemical romance with your collared shirts, sweaters, and plaid skirts, and also no cussing. So it's like, it's like a very interesting journey that a young Mia was on. I was, I was. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, okay. So tell us a little bit more now that we know what you were wearing, listening to, saying, not saying. Tell us about the high school that you went to. So where in the world was it? So I grew up in the Midwest um, in a suburb outside of the city of Chicago um, called Hinsdale. My high school years were 2006 to 2010. And I had previously attended from preschool through eighth grade, a Lutheran private school but high school was a public school. Okay. So a little, maybe a little bit of an adjustment there. Uh, the most, most of the adjustment was the size. So like my previous school, I graduated with like 12 people in my class. Whereas I think my high school, my class was like 700 people. Yeah. Um, so that was the bigger <laughs> adjustment. It's like a very conservative County. So as far as like the people and the values and the learnings, like that was kind of not that different. Yeah. You're not going to find a public school with a graduating class of 12. I can guarantee. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. So outside of Chicago, uh, mid aughts, I feel like 06 to 10 is like right there in like the mid aughts range. So let's dive into the juicy part. The reason we're all here, sex education. So for starters, did you get any type of sex education in school? Yes, we had sex ed through our health class, I think sophomore year. Okay. And do you remember, can you walk us through a little bit what that looked like? Yeah. And also I should say we had in like fifth grade, this is not high school. Um, we all went to this place called the Robert Crown Center. And so it was, it was like not at our school um, and they were set up to teach us about like reproductive health, I guess, and puberty and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously they separated the boys from the girls, the, the three boys in the class <laughs> from the girls. Um, so that was kind of the early sex ed. And then uh, high school was more of like actual sex ed. And I remember that being very fear-based. So it was really conversations about like STIs, which obviously were referred to as like STDs at that time. And just like pictures, like I remember seeing pictures of like what they could look like. I mean, there was, it was, we didn't really learn anything that my only takeaway was that with, were those photos. We might've watched a video of a birth. Again, the idea with that was just like, oh my gosh, that does not look like fun. Yeah. <laughs> it does not look good. I just remember having, and especially in middle school, similarly, I think a lot of what we learned was it's gonna hurt and all that stuff like that. So I, I just remember thinking like, I don't know why anyone would want to have sex. This was more in middle school. And I was just like, it sounds like maybe you do it three times to have three kids. And then that's like it. But then of course, as I started dating in like middle school and like early high school, of course I'm, you know, a teenager with hormones. And so then I was like, oh, interesting. But then of course I had a ton of guilt around even having desires for uh, 
sex. So it was, yeah, I would say we didn't really learn anything. I didn't learn, we didn't learn how to like use a condom. Uh, we didn't learn about anything, anything. I mean, that's the thing with fear-based sex ed. It's like, as soon as you press it a little bit, you're like, this falls apart completely in practice. Like everybody is going to want to do this. You're not just going to do it three times. Like they thought they were going to want to, and then they're going to be shit out of luck because they don't have any information. Yeah. And like, there was no, and also even thinking that having sex three times results in three babies is a ridiculous notion to begin with. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, no, obviously abstinence-based, fear-based sex ed is not education at all. Yeah. And it's like, you now have all this baggage that you have to unpack. You have fear and you have shame and you don't have any information as to how to deal with those things and have sex safely. So it's like, you're just, we were screwing over all these kids. Yeah, exactly. It's just wild. So, okay. So you got a little bit in school, wasn't so hot, pretty fear-based, pretty shame-based. So where else were you getting sex ed outside of school? Was any conversation happening inside of your household? Yeah. So that's a good question. There were zero conversations at home. In fact, like I dated my bro- one of my brother's friends and because they were friends, he was like allowed to spend the night so we could just like talk or whatever, whatever. Um, Canoodle. So feel- yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I feel like if my mom, I think my mom was never thinking that I would do anything um, cause otherwise I don't know that she would have like allowed my boyfriend to like sleep over. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess I learned a lot from him. I think he was kind of my source for questions whenever something would come up or if I'd learn a new word, I would ask him like, what does this mean? Cause he had a lot more information than I did. Other than that, it was probably TV. Mm-hmm. Do you have any standout like TV shows or movies that were like extra juicy in your mind or like gave you like a whole lot of info that you just remember really well? I mean, Gossip Girl, I would not say gave me like information, (laughs) but obviously I loved Gossip Girl and uh, that was, you know, obviously Gossip Girl was a pretty juicy show. Juicy is the word that I was about to say. Yeah, that was a juicy show for sure. My friend's mom actually didn't let her watch Gossip Girl. I think she called it like the devil's show or something like that. I mean, I hear I could see that. (laughs) Such positive messages in this show then. I know, right? (laughs) Um, I remember the show called, I don't think this was till college though. It was called Awkward on MTV. Oh my God. Wow. I think that was high school because I think I remember watching that with my high school best yeah, friend. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, I don't know what era that was. And it starts out with her having sex with a jock character, right? Like she's kind of like less popular at school and they had like awkward moments. And so that felt a little bit more real relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, but... I wouldn't say Gossip Girl was relatable. I hear you on that one. No, I would Maybe in my mind, but I don't think it was relatable. <laughs> okay, so these are these are good ones because I also agree that they stand out as like particularly like steamy shows. Like Gossip Girl mm-hmm. was definitely like rated PG thirteen, and Awkward definitely had overtones of sex. These were all shows that I feel like young people gravitated towards because of the role that sex played in the show. Mm-hmm, definitely. And also, of course, these are all filled with very attractive people. And you learn later that they're all like in their late 20s. And of course, they look like that when no one in high school looks like that. Oh, yeah, like, like the men, 
look like 30 year olds. And then I'm like looking around my high school. I'm like, what are all, what's wrong with all these guys? Exactly. Like, wait, you're not looking like Nate. No, (laughs) it's so true. It's so true. My sister and I laugh about that all the time. Like that actor is 30. That actor is 30. (laughs) He's not 16. Yes. Yeah. So you've referenced a couple of times that you grew up in the church or in a religious setting in, in some capacity. Do you remember that sending you messages about sex or getting any type of sex education from that? Yeah, um, definitely. I think that was like the basis of my understanding of sex. And it was mostly just about waiting until marriage and obviously like implied heterosexual marriage. That was just very much the idea. And I think I really bought into that just because I thought that that's just what you're supposed to do. And I remember just being really conflicted when I started having like sexual desires because I just felt like this is wrong. This is weird. And I don't know, like even being like horny or like wanting to masturbate or something like that. Like I didn't even know the term masturbation probably until my twenties. And then I didn't know what I was doing and like, why am I like, what am I doing? This is so weird. It was very all framed and like, this is sinful or like something's wrong with me. And it was very much framed around waiting for marriage. Yeah, for sure. And then I think what's also interesting about what you said is like when you're finally able to kind of like overcome that and be like, okay, I'm going to do this anyway you have no idea how your body works. No one teaches us about, particularly people who are assigned female at birth, what Mm -hmm. pleasure looks like for those bodies. And we're just, we keep setting up these roadblocks to to set young people back on their journey towards like a healthy and pleasurable sex life. Yeah. When I was like that age, everything that turned me on felt wrong. So then every time I would like, I'm now associating arousal with a bad thing. I just was always feeling wrong and guilty and ashamed of myself. Anytime I was supposed to be feeling good, it does set you up for having no idea how to take ownership of your pleasure and like want to even experience that. Yeah. And what I love about what you just said is that non-consensual association of bodily pleasure with shame or hatred or feeling like you shouldn't be feeling it. And like, you didn't choose to associate those things together. You were taught that, you know? And so when you're experiencing these feelings that are supposed to be pleasurable, you have these, these mental and emotional kind of blocks of the exact opposite. And it's no wonder that people have such difficulty with pleasure and owning their own pleasure, like you said, because we really just make it incredibly difficult for people of all ages to get there. Mm-hmm, totally. And also, I mean, the concept of arousal non-concordance where like you can be turned on, your genitals can be aroused, but your brain is like not actually interested or sexually aroused. I think that's a big thing for people where it's like now when I'm feeling genitally aroused, my brain is telling me, no, 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 no. Like that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. So then later on, when you want, when your brain is there, then maybe you can't, you know, get there physically or you're shutting your desires down anytime you are actually excited in a way that feels positive. So I think it's definitely not great. No, it's tough. It's tough for sure. And then I think you add a gender lens to that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just think back to all of those shows that you mentioned, right? Like particularly Gossip Girl, but like, it's a trope that we see everywhere that like, 
young men are just like constantly turned on by everything. And like, that's fine because that's what boys do. But like, we do not get told that young women or, or AFAB people are turned on by tons of things. And that's totally normal. So like on top of the feeling that disconnect between, you know, pleasure and not wanting to feel it, you're also like, should I be turned on this much? Cause I'm not a boy and this is reserved for boys. So I feel like adding that gendered lens also kind of keeps on the shame a little bit more. Totally. That being said, I do feel like Blair was kind of empowering in a way, you know, because she very much owned her sexuality. Like she is always, you know, bringing out like her lingerie and like kind of taking control of her sexual experiences. But at the same time, her lover is obviously Chuck, who is awful Mm -hmm. and abusive, like etc. So it's like, you know, it's like, okay. Yes. On the one hand, iconic, like Blair, cool. And maybe women can be in control of their sexuality, but then at the same time, like, anyway, I don't know. But yeah, I think that was, that was like the one person who I could think of who was, uh, was like a sexually empowered woman. Yeah. And then like right there in the same show, like you have Serena that was kind of like labeled like a loose woman because Mm -hmm. she just like had a lot of sexual partners in her past. And that was like a big thing of her, like trying not to be a loose woman anymore, you know, as if like that would like make her better. Totally. And then I think it even turns out that like she had experienced sexual assault. I remember like an episode about that, but I think at the time I was not obviously thinking of it like that. Yeah. And like, and then you look at that as like a young Mia's sex education was like gossip girl. It's like, well, we needed, we needed something else besides that. I mean, anyway, we'll have to have another episode after we watch the reboot of gossip girl and do a full agreed download about it. Agreed. Okay. So talked a little bit about what was going on at school. Not so great at home. Wasn't much, some stuff from the church, which also wasn't very positive for you. Were you having any kind of dialogue with your friends or like in your social circles about sex? My friends. No, actually, I just found a a message from one of my friends from high school on Facebook from when we were like 16. And she um, was like, oh, my gosh, my parents just found condom in my room. And she's like being punished, right, for her parents finding condoms. And I my response was like, well, I can understand, you know, why they why they're upset. And I can understand, like, taking away your phone. But um, I think they also like weren't letting her go on some trip, but I was like, but that seems outrageous. I'm sure the, I'm sure they'll get over it. But yeah, I was not like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. I was like, I can understand why they're punishing the you. That's ridiculous. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, how annoying. Like, I don't even, what is that? Um, but I remember with that friend where I very much, we, we did talk about just like when we were both going to probably have sex. And I was very much more so like, I'm probably going to wait. And she was more so like, you know, I'm not, but my other friends, my other friends, no, I don't think a lot of my other friends, we were having this com- these conversations at all because a lot of my other friends weren't dating anyone and they weren't actually active. Yeah. So it sounds like overall in the high school years, you were getting quite a limited sex education experience. Yes, definitely. I think I, I learned, and we've talked like later in life where like some of my friends had experiences maybe in senior year 
um, and like not so great experiences. And I think those are starting to come like where we're starting to talk about those now, but at the time, yeah, none of us were talking about it. Interesting. Okay. So I feel like we have kind of an understanding of what those years were like. So I'd love to move into a conversation about your intersecting identities so we can kind of understand a little bit of context. So can you share with us what intersecting identities that you hold that you feel like were relevant to your sex education experience then and now? Yeah, definitely. For one, I'm biracial. So I'm half black, half white. I mean, I think that played probably more of a role in my life than I thought it did at the time. It's obviously always been an aspect of my identity, but I think I always felt like, oh, I've, I've adjusted a lot more. My high school was very much predominantly white and also my parents weren't together. So I was like, I lived with my mom who's white. So I think it was just like a lot of my life was being around white people. Um, and I think my siblings had, I, I always felt like my siblings had more of an identity crisis than I did. I just felt like I was like well-adjusted, but I think that in looking back on it, I'm like, maybe my feelings around that of like being well-adjusted or like assimilating um, were actually preventing me from exploring more aspects of my identity. But I do think it was obviously something I thought about. And even in terms of dating, like the guy that I dated was also biracial. And then I think I always had like thoughts around I don't know, just even like flirting with people or like, would this person like me? And like, would they not like me because I'm black or like, you know, like always having to have those kinds of thoughts and like insecurities, I think. But then also being able to maybe use it as like an excuse if someone didn't like me, which isn't a good excuse, but maybe it's a rationalization in my head. And then, but at the same time, actually going along with that, I do think I was also sexualized from a young age. Like I always noticed a lot of, and I know like that's another aspect I guess intersecting is being a woman. And I think that a lot of women are obviously sexualized, but I think, yeah, there was like an eroticization of me. And I would always notice like a lot of older men would just like make weird comments or like, just be really inappropriate, like, you know, weird. And, And I think that had to do with race, but I don't know. Like, obviously that's the other aspect of race is like, in even being a woman, like you never can really know, like, is this because of this or is the, you know, but then even having those thoughts is part of having those identities. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that added stress of not really getting to know just adds more stress to that. It's like, well, did this happen because I was a woman or am I, is that just crazy? And it's happening because of this other thing, but it's like, but it might've happened because I'm a yeah, woman. And you're like gaslighting yourself. gaslighting yourself. And then of course you have on top of that one marginalized identity, you have a race to also have that dialogue with. So as a young person without any support or like language to be able to talk about that, I'm, I, I can imagine that that just made things all the more confusing. Yeah, totally. And I think my mom's default, cause like she was never really having constructive conversations around race. And I think she just wanted us to feel normal and like supported so her response is always like you're beautiful you're beautiful I'm like okay thanks (laughs) like that's not helpful (laughs) right like thank you but also I need much more many more words to figure this out (laughs) exactly and also like how is that helpful like is this helpful but I also think that maybe it's just I don't think it's just her generation I think it's society in general but I also think that an emphasis on looks 
And like, yeah, how you look is like the most important thing. So I think that was another aspect because I do think my mom is kind of a little bit obsessed with appearances. Mm -hmm. For sure. Interesting. So did you feel like these identities were represented in the sex education that you got? I mean, you didn't get much, but the, the sex education that you pieced together through these various pathways, did you see yourself represented? No, no. I think that obviously school is not a real example, but even in the TV shows, like, I think that especially with like being biracial, I think Vanessa was something but that's like the one character that I can think of, you know, I mean, because even I think specifically being biracial, like, I think that there are other characters on other shows that are like fully black, but I don't think I saw a lot of that representation. It's like, for example, when the Spider-Man movie came out and like the, like the newer Spider-Man, one of the characters, she is biracial and like, it's actually shown like her parents. I was like, wow, that's actually really cool. All these years later, like, I think it would make a difference. And I think not seeing it made me feel very much alone in that. And also my friends not seeing it either would lead them to like, you know, like I think my friends one night took me out to dinner and were like, are you adopted? So, you know, I was like, no. Actually, I think I probably said, yeah, but then I was like, just kidding. (laughs) Just mixing it up a little bit. Always. Um, But yeah, no, I definitely don't think any aspect of identity was like explicitly discussed. And I think what I was inheriting was probably just what I wasn't seeing. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, it's so interesting to hear you be able to pinpoint the one, perhaps an only or the first time that you saw a biracial character because it was that rare and like had that much of an impact on you where you were like, oh my God, that's me, you know, or like some version of that. And like, the fact that like, I mean, cause I was also, as soon as you said that I was racking my brain, I was like, are there any non-white characters in Gossip Girl at all? And then it's like, Vanessa is kind of white passing. And like, if you True. didn't have a dialogue about that as a young person, like what being biracial was or what white passing was like, you could definitely just miss her entirely, you know? Also, I feel like they set her up to be like a super annoying character. Yeah, she sucked for sure. (laughs) Especially by the end. In the beginning, you were kind of like, oh, cool. Like she had really cool fashion and she was kind of Mm -hmm. like alternative to like the rich preppy scene. But then by the end, you were like, this girl has got to go. So exactly. There's like nothing aspirational about her. So it's like the only people you're looking up to are people who look nothing like you. And then I guess for me, also my mom looked nothing like me. I mean, in terms of like, physical attributes or whatever so then it's like all right well that's cool pave my own way yeah and that you did Mia and that I did that you did but (laughs) representation man that's a real one that's representation matters that's that's a big one okay cool so I would love to move a little bit beyond high school and look at today life today in the now for Mia How do you think that your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today? Well, I think for all of those reasons, I had a game around sex. I think my earlier sexual experiences, like I did, I remember trying to have sex when I was around like 14 or something, and then it didn't work. Like it was like physically, like 
it just wasn't working. And I remember being like secretly relieved about that because in my head, I didn't want, like, I was like, I do obviously this tension that I keep referring to is like, I do want to, but I actually don't want to because I want to wait. My first experience, I don't know. I think I just never thought about pleasure like (laughs) for a really long time. I never, it didn't even cross my mind that sex could be better. It was just like, okay, this is like, okay, this is it. And then, uh, and then in college, I had an experience with sexual assault and that was my only my second ever experience. So I, you know, I had, I struggled to even like label that experience and kind of come to terms with that experience. And then it affected me in terms of experience, like experiencing sexual pain after the fact for like years. And so I think all of that was tied up in just not having anyone to talk to about things, having, still having shame and like um, not knowing anything about pleasure or knowing that I deserve pleasure or even knowing how to experience more pleasure. A lot of people with vulvas, people conditioned as women are not expected to experience pleasure. Like there's always been the running trope of even in marriages, you know, like, oh, once you get married, like you never have sex or like your wife doesn't want to have sex. And I think that's because if that's true for people, it's probably because she was never having that much pleasure. You know, the person with the penis finishes it's done, roll over, go to like, that's not fun. So I think that's why, why I started taboo really was because I just was trying to figure out like, what's wrong with my body? Like, why am I experiencing this pain? Why, why am I like, cause then I started to have negative associations with sex. I already had fear of sex growing up. Now I have like literal fear of sex as well. So I think I was like, okay, you know, there aren't the there aren't great resources. And that's why I started taboo. And I think taboo is the catalyst for me actually starting to dig into these topics and, you know, gain a new understanding. And so now my relationship with sex is a lot better, but it's still, you know, it's still a journey. And I think that the early experiences I had with shame and fear and like when I had that experience when I was younger, I remember looking it up, like, why doesn't like, why didn't this work? And I think I read that like, you have to orgasm in order for penetration to occur, which like, if only. (laughs) Imagine, oh my God. I was like, oh, okay, that's what happened. (laughs) When really I learned later is probably that I have like vaginismus, which can make it difficult for penetration. And like, now it's fine and it's not an issue. But like, if you're, it's like when you blink because something's gonna fly into your eye, it's like my muscles were contracting because I was afraid and I wasn't comfortable. And so it definitely has been a journey to like unwind and undo. Um, but without my sex ed, uh, taboo wouldn't ever exist. There you go. Without my lack of sex ed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> the lack of is important there. Going back exactly to what you said, we have to introduce something that is going to interrupt all of these problematic narratives that young people are getting. If we can get some sex ed in the classroom, you know, or in an after school program or whatever that might look like. And then you don't, we don't have to go through that journey in our mid twenties, late twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, depending on, you know, who you are about realizing that you were not given the information you needed to set yourself up for a healthy and happy sex life. But without sex ed, it's like, how long is it going to take? They may never get there, you know? Totally. And I think a lot of the influence is from media because, 
you know, obviously you learn in school and, and hopefully you're having like a great sex ed experience, but I do think that's still rare. And even in that case, it's still coming through like an adult, it's still coming through a teacher. So there's that level of like non-relatability. There's that level of awkwardness, Mm -hmm. especially if it's just a random like health teacher, PE teacher, like they're not trained. So they're going to have their own. Most are probably coming to it with their own, like, oh my gosh, I'm teaching high schoolers about sex. Like this is awkward. And so I think media plays a huge role because that's where a lot of teenagers are going, right? It's what they're actually consuming on a regular basis. And so I do think that at least like TikTok now, there's like a bunch of sex ed on TikTok. And obviously there's always probably some misinformation out there, which is not great. But like, I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot more resources and and teens are getting so much better. I think at like depicting realistic sex scenes, like showing consent. So that's promising. But I do remember my younger cousin, she, I was like quizzing her for a, a religious, like a test the next day or something. And I remember she was reading and I was reading her book and it was saying, it was like a Catholic high school. And it was saying like, literally, if you have sex, like, you know, you should feel guilt, like this is wrong, this, but, and I was like, okay, it's one thing to encourage you to not, but to, to literally as fact say that this is wrong and you should feel guilty. I was like, okay, this is unfortunately still very much reality. Yeah. In schools. Like, yeah. Like we have a long way to go. And I think, um, part of the project of creating comprehensive sex ed that is effective for young people everywhere is like combating all that stuff you said. So like, we shouldn't be asking gym teachers to teach sex ed. We shouldn't be lumping it into health without training the health teacher. Like we should be hiring qualified sex educators so that all of those things that you rightfully brought up can be accounted for and addressed, you know, like we need to be bringing in people that are relatable, that create environments of safety and environments of learning and not just throwing it on as an added thing. Like, I can't tell you how many people are like, I think my gym teacher taught it or like even my biology teacher, like Mm -hmm. biology and sex ed are not the same subject. Yes, there is crossover, but like there is more to teaching sex ed. So like we need to be putting qualified trained people in the classroom. And like, also we need to then be working on the media and what young people are seeing. Like we need to be coming at it from all sides. All the angles. And right now we're coming at it from nowhere. Like it's just (laughs) not, you know what I mean? Like we're like zero for 10. (laughs) Totally. I think the other aspect of like being trained is it's not enough just to have the information, right? Like I think teachers, they have the information and they teach it. The unique thing with ex ed, and I think it should also be like expanded to like relationship education, mental health as well, is it's fielding questions. Because I feel like if your students are comfortable enough to ask you questions, which a lot of them aren't you have to know how to answer those. And I think that's where, like you were saying, actual sexuality professionals know how to receive those questions, not make, you know, not place judgment on those questions and answer them in a meaningful way. And then I think there also probably needs to be like a secondary aspect of sex ed that was educating the parents, because I feel like Another thing is when you come home and maybe you want to talk to your parents or if you're a lot of parents will try to give like the quote unquote talk and they have zero resources as well. So I think everyone's trying to like shift it onto someone else. Like teachers are like parents should teach it and parents are like teachers should teach it. And then 
or it's like, no one should teach it and you'll just figure it out or whatever. And it's like, okay, no, like this needs to be intentional. (laughs) Like, come on. A hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head. Everyone is like hoping that someone else is going to do it because Mm -hmm. they don't want to. And so when you have that mentality, you're just going to, you're assuming that someone else is picking up the slack. So you're going to do a half-ass job or you're not going to do it at all. Right. Cause like parents, oh, well, they'll get this in school and then teachers. Okay. Well, hopefully their parents will talk about this when they get at home. And then you go and you watch gossip girl and that's the only thing you get. (laughs) That's what happens, you know? And imagine if you did that with like driver's ed, I think is the example that I always think of. Cause it's like, yeah, you might have drivers at at school or you might go to like an external program to learn how to drive, but then you also have to get the 20 hours or how many hours with, you know, an adult, which you generally would be like a caregiver or a parent. And a lot of parents also want to take that responsibility on themselves because they don't want you to get in a car accident. They want you to be safe. They're going to teach you like everything and all the tricks and all the things so that you're safe. And I think that having positive, healthy safe relationships and sexual experiences is so important. And that's like, that can impact the rest of your life. And it's just wild to me that you wouldn't treat it with the same level of care uh, as you would something like learning how to drive. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. I always say math class. I'm like, imagine only getting eight hours of math class in all of your high school, but drivers, that is a way better practical example. Also there's, um, Legislation, I think I have to look up the number, but I still think it's 26 states allow parents to pull students Mm, from sex education, which is like, okay, then they're really not. Because if the parents are going to pull them out, that probably means they're not going to give them much at home. Like they don't want their kid getting anything. You know what I mean? So like, we maybe there's the, I like rare parent out there who's like, this school's sex ed is going to be so bad that I'm going to teach my kid everything and they're never going to get those. Maybe that'll be me someday. No. I was just going to say, that will be us if we choose to procreate. For exactly. sure. like, we will be doing all of this hands-on interactive at home. Right. Can I audit the class first? <laughs> I'm just going to be in the back taking notes. Right. Exactly. Let me know if you have any questions. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Yeah. I like in the, in, in ideal world. Yes. Maybe a couple of those parents are pulling them out. Yeah. That, but doubtful, but... doubtful. I definitely doubt it. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm right there with you. It's also such a weird concept, purity pledges, all that kind of stuff. It's like, it's a, it's a weird concept to be that invested in your child's sex life. Like I understand wanting them to wait, maybe just for like, till you're um, ready. ready. Yeah. Ready, emotionally ready. And like, of course you want them to have like good experiences, but that's not really what a lot of parents are thinking. They're not like, I want to wait until you're, you know, you're emotionally capable and until you know everything you need to know. And when you can know about pleasure and this, that, and the other. Also, meanwhile, 99% of them did not wait realistically. I mean, maybe less than 99. Well, yeah. And it's like those purity balls are for girls only. Nobody's concerned about the boys waiting. They can do whatever they want. And like the root of that is is ownership. It's like the dad owns the girl's bodies until he can pass it off to her husband in which he then owns it. So creepy. It's so, it's It's so so creepy. Yeah, it really is. Hopefully those are on the decline. I don't know. I have a, a terrible feeling they're probably on the incline. Because of the last four years. I actually found a, I don't know how I landed on that, but like literally maybe a month or two ago, I landed on a website that was for an upcoming 
event and I was like what like a an upcoming a purity, like, purity ball, ball. Mm-hmm. I gotta look that up we gotta look up if they're in increasing yeah we gotta we gotta show up <laughs> yeah we gotta interrupt Crash we gotta it. get in there and take the <laughs> mic absolutely I'm here for that my god okay so next big question looking back on our sex ed journey on your sex ed journey is there anything that you wish you could unlearn yeah I definitely wish I could unlearn just the association with shame I I wish that choice agency like you said ownership I wish that I could unlearn the shoulds any should you should wait should do this like sex should be like this all of those Yeah. And I feel like the shoulds are directly tied to just knowing that there's options. Like you can do this now. You can also do something else. You could also do something else. You could also do something else. Like it's not this or that. The shoulds I think are what really erase choice from the whole matter because you feel like you have to do that one should or you don't do it and there's no other option. Yeah. I I remember talking to a gynecologist who was telling me that she had seen her worst case of anal warts uh, ever from a high school student because the student was having anal sex with her boyfriend in order to not have quote unquote real sex and wait. Mm -hmm. And then therefore obviously not using condoms, sadly, probably not even using lube, but like having no preparation or understanding. And I think a lot of high schoolers do that when their idea is like, you should wait, they do oral sex, anal sex, other types of activities, which is okay, that's their choice, but they're not doing it with information. They're not being safe. They're not no, you know, like I know exactly that thought. I know exactly like, oh, that's not actually sex, but it's Mm -hmm. like, that's so. It's just like a really heteronormative view of sex that like P in the V is sex period and everything else you're still pure. Right. Exactly. Wild, wild stuff. Um, that's a good one. Shame is like, if we could all learn the shame, like how great our lives would be. Yeah. Okay. So this brings us to our very last question. Knowing what you know now, what do you wish that your sex education journey could have looked like? Great question. Yeah. I think that I wish it had taught us about how our bodies work. There are aspects of actually understanding how your body works that are really empowering, understanding pleasure, understanding that you deserve pleasure, not at the expense of anyone else, but that you deserve pleasure and you can experience pleasure, consent and communication. I mean, obviously my answer is I wish it had taught everything, but I think, you know, and also just like relationship health. I think all of those fundamentals, which I think can start really early on, like with boundaries, knowing how to say no Um, again, especially I think being socialized as a woman, like just knowing that you can say no, knowing that you don't have to be a people pleaser, like knowing that you have agency. I think learning those things benefit you not only in sex, but just in life. I, I guess I had wished I had learned anything positive or applicable at the bare minimum pleasure, framing it less as about like reproductive health and more about pleasure and a way to like connect with someone that would have been the bare minimum. Yeah, for sure. And that's just the bit that scares everybody the most. You know what I mean? Like, because if it's pleasurable, the kids will be doing it all the time. Just like adults. No one goes to work. No one does anything. All they do is have sex all the time because how could you not once you know that it's so amazing? (laughs) Right, right, right. So, so true. Uh, Really great answer. And 
I mean, you're, you're doing that, right? You are working to create sex education material for young people that you didn't have. So someone's out there doing it, (laughs) which is great news. Okay. So before we sign off, Mia, I would love to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know where they can find you and consume your work. Yeah, totally. So all of our content is available online at talktaboo.com, T-A-L-K-T-A-B-U. Our Instagram is also talktaboo. And then we have a new platform specifically geared toward sexuality and mental health professionals um, to create and distribute their content because there are amazing people out there doing this work and have been doing this work for decades. And we are actually a lot farther, somehow we are a lot farther along than it feels. So that's Taboo Wellness. And then we started a new podcast. So that's called Asking for Myself. And we're just diving into all these taboo topics. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. And all of that will be tagged on the Sex Ed Rewind Instagram account, as well as on the Sex Ed Rewind website. So you can find all of that online. Awesome. Okay. Mia, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. I cannot wait to see what Taboo does in the future and keep following along. Thank you so much. This was super fun. find the show on Instagram at sex ed rewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler and the podcast is produced and edited all by me.